tonight, and that we'd be able to study your Bible, study your, your Word, study this chapter, and uh, learn from it, Father, and be encouraged through it, and that you would help us. We love you, Father. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Acts chapter number 27. And uh, you know, Acts 27 and Acts 28 are probably, I believe, some of the most exciting chapters in the book of Acts. And we find here this uh, story of Paul. And if you remember, if you look back at the last verse of chapter 26, verse 32, the Bible says, Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. If you remember, Paul has gone through a series of trials been in prison now for, uh, we know, at least uh, two years, has not even been formally charged, and to protect his own life, he appealed unto Caesar, which was a right he had as a Roman citizen, and now they are, after all these trials, they, they can't even figure out what they're trying him for, and they, they, they can't figure out what he's done, he's not worthy of being in prison, he's not worthy of being put in jail, and, <clears throat> but they have to send him to Caesar, because he appealed to Caesar. Now, I believe that it was God's will. For him uh, to to go to Rome and to and to appeal to Caesar, he had to do that. But we we find him here on his way. If you look at verse number one, it says, "And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, he, they're going to Italy because we know Rome is in Italy, and Caesar was at Rome. That was the capital of the Roman Empire at that time. And they're traveling down to Italy. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band. I want you to notice the people that are traveling with Paul. We've got number one." This man here, uh, Aris, uh, I'm sorry, not Aristarchus, Julius, who's a, cent- a centurion of Augustus' band. First of all, we've got Paul traveling with soldiers. He's, he's actually committed to this man, Julius, who's a centurion. Centurion means uh, uh, that he was over 100 soldiers. So he's traveling with these uh, soldiers that are there to protect him, that are there to make sure he gets to the place he's supposed to be uh, going into. Not only that, look at verse 2, it says, And entering into the ship of Adramatium, we launched meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. And I'm not going to have you turn there, but Aristarchus is mentioned in other passages in the Scripture, two other passages to be exact. And in Colossians 4.10, you don't have to turn there, Paul said of Aristarchus, he said, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluted you. So we know that Aristarchus was a fellow prisoner with Paul, a Christian, and it sounds like he was some sort of a preacher because he was, uh, he was a fellow prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ with Paul. Not only that, if you look at verse number 3, it says, And the next day we touched at Sidon. So we know that. Also, Luke, the physician, who's the uh, human instrument, who's the human writer who was written, uh, used of God to write the book of Acts, he's there and he's telling the story. He's saying, we touched here and we, and this happened to us. So he's, we know he's traveling with uh, Luke. Uh, who's a preacher, with Aristarchus, who's a preacher, he's traveling with these uh, soldiers there, and we know that he's being treated well. If you look at verse 3 again, it says, The next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul, and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. So as they come to a stop there, they allow Paul liberty, they let him go out, uh, uh, be with friends, refresh himself, and he's being treated well. Look at verse 4. And when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. So they're, they're sailing, and you've got to keep in mind, they're, they're trying to make their way to Italy. 
But the Bible says in verse 4, we start to see a few of the troubles they have on this voyage. It says because the winds were contrary. The winds weren't allowing them. Because in those days, they didn't have motors, obviously. They didn't have other technology we have today. They had to travel by sail, which means you put you know, your sail up and you let the wind kind of take you and guide you. But the winds weren't, they were contrary to where they wanted to go. So they were sailing in a different direction. Verse 5, and when we had sailed over the Sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came unto Myra, uh, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria. Alexandria is in Egypt, but there was a ship there from Alexandria sailing into Italy. And he put us there. So they get there, they find a, a huge ship going from Alexandria to Italy, and it's docked there, and they, they kind of hitch a ride and say, hey, we're going to Italy, can we hitch a ride? I'm sure they paid for that. And, and they're all on their way to Italy on this ship from Alexandria, verse 7. And when we had sailed slowly many days, so they're not making good time, they're sailing slowly, and scares were come over against Nidus. The word scarce means, you know, they're, they're attempting, but they couldn't, they're barely getting there. The wind not suffering us, the word suffering means allow, the wind not allowing us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmoni. And hardly passing it, came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens. So they end up at this place called the Fair Havens, which was nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. Look at verse 9. Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now ready, already passed, Paul admonished them. I want you to, uh, I, I really want to start uh, the story, and, and you understand that up to this point, they've been having trouble sailing. They, they're not really in a lot of trouble. They've been having trouble getting to their destination. The winds have been contrary to them. They end up at this place called the Fair Haven. Now, I want you to understand Acts 27. The Bible tells us that Paul has been in multiple shipwrecks. And Acts 27, God gives us a very detailed look at one of these events. One of these, and you know, when we read this, yes, it's exciting uh, to just read the physical account of it. But everything in the Bible has a, a physical, has a spiritual application. It's there for a reason, and God's trying to teach us something, and He's showing us something through this. And I want you to notice that we can find some spiritual applications through this. And the, the truth of the matter is this. Paul is on his way to Rome. But often through life, God will have us sail through the storms or the trials or the tribulations of life. And I want you to notice there's a few lessons we could learn from this, uh, from this voyage here. And in verse 9 it says, Now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them. That word admonish uh, has the same principle as like preaching. When, when uh, I stand up to preach or when a preacher stands up to preach, you're getting exhorted and you're getting rebuked and you're getting, uh, you're getting taught, but you're also being admonished. And the Bible says that Paul stood up. Now Paul's a prisoner here. But he stood up and he admonished them. Look at verse 10. And said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage. Not only of the lading, the, the word lading there means the cargo. He says, not only is the cargo of the ship going to be destroyed and damaged, he says, end ship, but also of our lives. And I want you to notice something. As you travel through uh, life, and as you travel through the sea of life, and we're all headed towards a destination, and Lord willing, you're saved tonight, and your destination is heaven. But you know, as we're traveling through that destination, let me tell you something. None of us will make it to that destination without going through some storms and some trials. And when you're serving God, you're going to go through some storms in life, and there will be damage not only of the lady, and not only of the ship, but of your life. 
The Bible says they that uh, uh, live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And here Paul stands up, and Paul admonishes these people, and he says, look, I perceive, you understand, Paul is now on what some consider his fourth missionary journey. I don't know that we would consider it a missionary journey, he's really imprisoned on his way to Rome. But he's had, we know of three missionary journeys, he's traveled the world, he's a very uh, experienced sailor at this point, he's very experienced with the, knowing the ships, very experienced with knowing the ocean, and he kind of perceives, he looks at the weather, he says, hey, we are not leave the fair haven, and he stands up, and I, I would uh, I, I would submit to you that this is a, a picture of a, of a preacher or a man of God who will look at a, a person and say, "Hey, don't leave the fair haven." He says, "If you leave the fair haven, you're going to have a whole lot of damage, not only to the lading, not only to the cargo, not only to the ship, but to your life." Look at verse eleven. Nevertheless. The centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Isn't that the story of our lives? The man of God stands up and says, don't leave Fairhaven. If you leave Fairhaven, you're going to regret it. If you leave Fairhaven, you're going to uh, inquire a lot of damage. A lot of damage, not only to your property, but to your own life. And these people put more stock in what the world said and put more stock in what a man said than what the man of God said. The Bible says, nevertheless, in verse 11, Acts 27, 11, nevertheless, the centurions, the centurions, the soldier who's in charge of Paul, believe the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. The master of the ship, the owner of the ship, the captain of the ship, he said, no, I think we can make it. And the centurion said, I agree with you. And he took the advice of a man more than the advice of a man, the man of God. And I would submit to you that in your life, as you travel and you sail through the through, through the, the, you know, the, the sea of life making your destination there will be times when the advice you get from men when the advice you get from family from friends from co-workers who are not saved maybe Christians who are not spiritual maybe uh, people who are not right with God is going to be different than the advice you get from God from the preacher from the word of God and you've got to decide if you're going to put more stock in what the preacher and the man of God says or what well he's you don't understand. He's the master of the ship. He's, he's experienced. He understands what's going on. Look at verse 12. You want to know the real reason that they left for a haven? Verse 12 says, And because the haven was not commodious to winter in. The word commodious means convenient. This was not a convenient place to live. And they knew if they didn't leave now, they'd be stuck there all winter. And because it was not commodious to winter in, the more part it advised to depart thence also. I don't want you to miss these words. It was not commodious to winter there in the more part. That means they took a vote. And most of the people, the more part advised to depart. So they said, this is what they did. They got together and said, Paul says we shouldn't leave. The master of the ship says we should leave. What do you guys think we should do? And the majority of people said, let's leave because staying in Fairhaven is not very commodious. Not very convenient. It says, verse 12, And because the haven was not commodious to winter, and the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain unto Phenice, and there to winter, which is an haven of Crete, and lie toward the southwest and northwest. They said, if we can make it to this other uh, place, then that will be more convenient. 
stand up to preach God's word and we teach you how to live. We teach you how to, how to, how to do right. We teach you what the Bible said. And maybe we stand up and preach sermons like we did on this, uh, this Sunday morning. And we taught you all about what the Bible says about music and, 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 and that you ought not listen to this. You know, you get to start preaching. And sometimes they'll, they'll listen to this and they'll say, man, that pastor, te- you know, he preaches about how I should dress and he teaches about how, how, what music I should listen to. And he teaches, I got to read this type of Bible and I got to go so many other things. And people say, that's not very commodious. That's not very convenient. And this guy over here said it was okay. It's okay, for, you know. The, the, the man of God stands up and says, Hey, look not upon the wine when it is red, when it is, uh, red, when it gives it the color of the cup. And, I, and the man of God in the Bible says, Hey, you ought not drink. And then the, the pastor down the street, the, the ungodly pastor down the street, the liberal down the street says, Well, you can, you can uh, you know, drink in moderation. And then the average person says, Well, that's a little more convenient. And let me tell you something. The world always chooses the more convenient. The world always chooses the easiest thing to do. The world always chooses the path of least resistance. And whenever you are, uh, you know, you, you've got a fork in the road and you've got to make a decision and you say, this is hard and this is least resistant, it's easier, most of the world goes this way. That's why Jesus said, broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. And many there be that find it. But straight is the way. And narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Let me tell you something. You ever find yourself trying to decide between two things? Well, most people are doing this. Let me tell you. If most people are doing it, it's wrong. Period. Most people are always doing the easiest thing. Paul said, don't leave Fairhaven. I know it's not very easy. I know it's not going to be the, the, you know, just a vacation. But I, I'm telling you, don't leave Fairhaven. And people say, it's easier to go over here. Most people are doing this. Let's go this way. The crowd always takes the path of least resistance. The path of, you know, and, and you got to just figure that out in life. You know, you, you, you teenagers hang around kids and you say, well, most kids are smoking pot. Yeah, I know. And watch their lives. And watch where they end up. And look at their finances when they're 30, when they're 40. Look at their life. And look at their, you know, well, most people are drinking. It must be okay. Look at their life. You know, 20, 30, 40 years down the road. And see where that path of least resistance led them. It's more convenient, I know, but if you live right. It might be a little harder, but you have less regrets. So look at verse uh, number 13. Actually, look at, look at verse... Yeah, look at verse 13. I want you to notice this. So they take this vote, and they say, let's not go with the man of God, let's just go with man's advice. It's easier. It's a path of least resistance, let's do it. And in verse 13, the Bible says, and when the south wind blew softly, I, 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 want you, I, I wish you would learn this. I wish I would learn this. I wish we'd all learn this. They decide to go against the man of God. And as they take off, this whole time they've been having trouble with the wind. Remember, the wind was contrary to them. The wind suffered them not. And as soon as they take off down the wrong path, the Bible says in verse uh, verse 13, and when the south wind blew softly, well, that's nice. That's exactly where they're headed. Look what it says. Supposing that they had obtained their purpose. So they, so that, you know, I can imagine them on the boat. As they take off, the wind's blowing nicely, it's nice and warm, and they're supposing they obtain their purpose. You say, what does that mean? They believe they're going to make it to the, the haven they were wanting to make it. And they're probably looking at Paul saying, nice try, Paul. Yeah, I'm glad we didn't listen to you, preacher. 
I'm glad we didn't listen to you, Pastor. Look at look. The wind's nice. Everything's gotten beautiful. You know, let me tell you something. People often don't mistake, you know, those wind that's nice and soft and leading you towards sin. Don't mistake that with God's favor. The wind always blows softly when you make the wrong choice. And when the, sound wind blew, when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence they sailed close to Crete. The wind always blows softly when you're going down the wrong path. The wind always blows softly when you make the wrong choice. The wrong choice always looks right. Proverbs, you don't have to turn there, Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way, is a path of, uh, is the way of death. I may be misquoting that. Uh, there is a way that seemeth right unto, the, unto a man, but the end thereof is a way of death. You say, well, that looks right. I know it looks right. The wind's blowing right right now. Let me show you something about the devil. Go with me real quickly to Revelation, chapter number 12. And I want you to understand this. Revelation, chapter number 12. They, they go down this voyage, and they're, they're going down the wrong path, and, 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 and everything looks good. The wind's blowing softly. It's nice and warm. They're, man, they're on a vacation. We're going to winter over here. We're not going to have to work. It's going to be nice, Paul. Hope, you know, I'm glad we didn't choose your advice, Paul. Look at Revelation 12.9. Look what the Bible says about Satan. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan. And I want you to notice the next phrase. It says, which deceiveth the whole world. Do you see that? The Bible says, which deceiveth the whole world. Go to Revelation chapter number 20. Look at verse number 10. Revelation chapter number 20. Look at verse number 10. When God finally defeated Satan in Revelation 20... Verse 10, the Bible says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. The Bible refers to the devil, and God refers to the devil as this, the deceiver. The devil that deceived them. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11 and verse 14, it tells us that Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And let me tell you something, God always, uh, the, the devil always does this. He puts a path. you got to make a choice. And the wrong way, he always makes sure that looks nice. The devil is a deceiver. The devil, you know, people have this idea, they think, well, I'm, always, I'm never going to go with the devil. Because you have this idea that the devil, when he appears in front of you, he's going to have horns and he's going to uh, have a, a, you know, a tail and he's going to have a pitchfork and he's going to be big and red and nasty and ugly. And you're going to say, I'm going to recognize that. I'm not, no, you don't understand. When the devil appears to you and when the devil gives you a path, he appears as an angel of light. He appears beautiful. He appears nice because he's a deceiver. That's what he is. Look at verse. Look at verse thirteen. Let me just show you how life goes. They make this wrong choice, and when the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their purpose, losing thence, they sailed close to Crete. Look at verse fourteen. But not long after, there arose against it. A tempestuous wind called Euroclidon. The Bible says that not long after. See, the wind blew softly. It was nice. 
But not long after. Look at look at uh, Hebrews chapter number eleven. Let me show you something uh, quickly. Hebrews chapter number eleven, and look at verse number twenty four. Hebrews chapter number eleven. Look at verse number twenty four. The Bible says about Moses here in this hall of faith. It says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, notice the next phrase, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That You say, how long is the pleasure of sin? A season. How long is the wind going to blow softly? Not long after, the Bible says. Sin is pleasurable for a season. It will look nice for a moment, but not long after, sin will show its true face. Go with me to Galatians chapter number 6. Galatians chapter number 6. See, we've we got to understand that the, the devil is like a, these bullfighters. You know these bullfighters, they'll have these like red capes, you know, and there'll be this bull there, and the bull wants the red cape, you know. And the, and the bull, he wants that red cape. And, and, the, and, and the devil's like that, that, uh, that, that bullfighter, and you and I are like that bull. You ever watch a bullfight before? Or read about it or something? You know, what do they do? They get that devil, they get that, that bull, and they get him all excited. Man, he's, he's bloodthirsty. He wants that red. And he starts charging, and he's going to get that red. And, he, and what happens the first time? He just goes right through it. Nothing happens. So they set him up again. They bring it out again. And he goes right at it. Nothing happens. So he does it again. And again, and again, and again, that bull goes for that red cape. And never gets hurt. Never has an issue. They build his confidence. And when he's least expecting, at the last moment, what's waiting for him behind that cape? A sword. And that bull rushes in, and when he doesn't realize it, he's stuck with that sword. And that's how they begin to kill him. They eventually kill those bulls by just stabbing him to death with swords. That's the devil, my friend. You say, but it's, it's blowing softly. The, I, I rushed that cape already and nothing happened. I know. But you rush it again, and you rush it again, and you rush it again, and eventually you'll find yourself stabbed. That's the truth. Look at Galatians chapter number 6, look at verse number 7. The Bible says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Well, so-and-so does this and nothing happens to them. So-and-so lives like this and nothing happens to them. So-and-so does whatever they want. Hey, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's what the Bible says. Go back to Acts chapter number 27. Acts chapter number 27. Look at verse number 15. Acts 27 and verse 15, the Bible says, And when the ship was caught... And could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. You say, what does that mean? Well, they, they get caught in the storm, and, and they're not really able to control the sailing of the wind, so they just give up and they, they let her drive. They, they just pretty much brought the sails down and they let the ship go as it was going to go in the storm, because they realized it was caught in the midst of this uh, whirlwind storm thing, 
And they're not going to be able to fight against it. Look at verse 16. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat. As they're doing this, they, they come near this island, Clauda, and they think, this is our last chance, you know, maybe we can leave. And they had a lot of work to try to get there. Look at verse 17. Which when they had taken up, they used helps ungirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into quicksand, straight sail, and so were driven. So they're, they're trying to get to this island, and then they realize there's some quicksand there, and, and we might get stuck in that quicksand, so they just let it go again. It says they, uh, they straight sail, and so were driven. Look at verse 18. And we, being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lighted the ships. Now I want you to remember something. Do you remember when we read in verse uh, number... Uh, let's see. Go back to number... Number 6. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexander sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. Remember, this is not a military ship. This, this, the purpose of this ship going to Italy is not to take Paul and the prisoners there. And the soldiers. This is a cargo ship. And the ship is taking merchandise to Italy from Alexandria. Paul and the prisoners and the soldiers are just hitching a ride. And this cargo ship, whose purpose was to deliver cargo and make money that way, and verse number 18 it says, And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lighted, they lightened the ship. You say, what are you talking about? They started throwing cargo off the ship. They said, we got to get this ship uh, as light as we can. we got to get rid of anything that we don't need if we're going to survive this storm. And, and you say, well, well, what can we learn from that? Here's what you can learn from it. You'd be surprised how quickly God is able to fix the prioritizing of your life. You know, so often in our lives, you know, church is just not that important. Reading our Bibles is just not that important. Praying is just not that important. But God puts you in a storm and all of a sudden you're able to, to prioritize things. All of a sudden, you're able to realize, I've got some things I need to get rid of. I've got some things that are weighing me down. I've got some things that if I don't get rid of, I'm not going to make it past the storm. And you've got to understand, sometimes God puts you in the storm because He wants you to lighten your life. The Bible says, uh, casting aside the sin which does so easily beset us. The Bible says, God, you know, we're to run a race and often we're weighed down by cargo. And God says, oh, I know I'll take care of that. I'll just put you in a storm. Because in the, in the storm, you prioritize very easily. You see, it's no longer about making money for them. It's about surviving for them. And they said, let's get rid of some of this stuff. Look verse 19. And the third day, we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. That tackling there is talking about more gear. Likely it was gear they used for fishing. And they were just getting rid of everything. Notice they're not throwing people out the ship. They're throwing stuff out of the ship. Why? Because when you get in a storm, you, you quickly prioritize, prioritize things that are important. Look at verse 20. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. You say, what... What can we learn from that? Here's what you got to understand. They're in this storm, and the Bible says, it's such a bad storm that neither sun nor stars in many days appeared. So during the daytime hours and during the nighttime hours, it was so dark, they never saw the sun, they never saw the stars, they never saw the moon. Now here's what you got to understand. In these days, you know, they didn't have GPS. <laughs> you know, in these days, they often 
directed their voyage based on the stars. They would use the stars to be able to figure out where they were. They'd definitely use the sun based on where the sun rose and where the sun set to be able to figure out which way, which direction they were going. And I want you to notice something. In verse 10 it says, And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, no small tempest lay on us. So they don't have a way of directing their voyage. They have no way of being able to figure out which way they're going or where they're going or where they should be going. They don't even know where they're at. And the Bible says when they have no direction, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Let me tell you something. In life, when you don't have a direction, when you don't have a purpose, when you don't have a way and you don't know where you're going, all hope is taken away. Remember that verse we saw last week in Proverbs where it says um, hope deferred maketh the heart sick? And so many people, I believe, in our world deal with these issues of the heart and they deal with depression and they they feel hopeless and they feel sad and they feel out of control and they don't know where they're going. And here's why. They don't know where they're going and they feel like they don't know where they're going because they're not going anywhere. They have no purpose and no direction. When they could not see the sun and they could not see the stars and they could not direct their way, all hope was gone. They said, we're not going to get saved. We're going to die out of here because we can't figure out where to go. And in your life, as you're sailing through life, if you can't figure out some direction to life, you're going to feel hopeless. You're going to feel afraid. You're going to feel like, I don't know. You say, how can I get direction? This book right here. How can I get purpose? This book right here. This is why we have you read nine chapters a day. This is why we emphasize Bible reading and Bible memorizing. This is why we emphasize church preaching and and Bible preaching. Do we really need church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? Do we really need to be reading the Bible nine chapters a day and reading the Bible and memorizing? Do we really? Yes. If you want some direction in life, you've got to have God's Word to direct you. Amen. Because our life, you know, we we as as uh, humans cannot direct ourselves. You know, I, my wife and I were. We're watching this, uh, this thing. It wasn't even a... Uh, well, it, it was kind of a Christian thing, but it wasn't preaching. But we, we, saw, we had this guy, had this whole crowd stand up. And he said, I want you to close your eyes and point towards north. And all these people, I mean, there was maybe a thousand people. All these people stood up, closed their eyes, and they all pointed to whatever way they thought. He said, open your eyes. And you know that everybody was pointing in all sorts of crazy directions. Everybody was here, everybody was there, everybody was there. Nobody knew where north was. And that man, he took out a compass and he said, north is that way. And he said, see, in your life and in our lives, if we're, we're trying to use it, I'm going north, I'm going this way. And the other person said, I'm going north, I'm going that way. And the other person said, I'm going north, and he said, I'm going that way. And what you need is a compass, what you need is a preacher, what you need is a Paul to say, no, actually, here's the compass, here's the direction, here's north, here's the way we're going, here's the road to Italy. And when you have that direction, you have that purpose, and you say, I've got some hope, because I've got something I can do. I've got a way to raise my kids, I've got a way to raise my family, I've got a way to be a good husband, or be a good wife, to be a good worker, to be a good people. When you have no purpose, you just mindlessly going through life, watching TV, on Facebook, doing nothing, accomplishing nothing, and one day you wake up, and you're 26 years old, and you think to yourself, what did I do with my life? Say, I, I wish I was 26. Yeah, me too. <laughs> You've got direction. And when neither sun, verse 20, nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. What do we do with hopeless people? What do we do in the midst of the storm when people have no hope, when people have no direction, when people have no idea what they're doing or how they're doing it? I I watch people and I think to myself, 
If you just get back to the Bible, your life would be easier. We talked about this last week. The way of the transgressor is so hard. And look, my, you know, you say, well, wait, you think your life is easy? I, my life's not easy, and everything that's hard in my life is because of my own sin. I'll tell you that right now. But everything that has worked out in my life has worked out because of this book. And I watch people, and I think, if you would just figure out where north is, if you just get back to the compass, your life would be so much easier. Look at verse 21. So what do we do? I, I love this, because this really shows the, the, the human side of Paul. The Bible says, but after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them. So, let's give Paul some credit. Bob says after a long abstinence, he waited a long time. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me. You know what he's saying? I told you so. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I told you. I know, but the wind was blowing so fast. I know, but remember I told you? That's what Paul's saying. Say, I told you so. Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me. And not to have loosed from Cree. And look what he says. And to have gained this harm and loss. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you didn't want to stay at Fairhaven because it wasn't commodious. And you went down the path. You got deceived. You said the wind's blowing softly. The devil turned himself into an angel of light. And you went down and he said, you know, all you gained is this harm and loss. I wish we could get this in our heads. The Lord Jesus Christ said, Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. But we look at Jesus Christ and say, That's too many rules, Pastor. That Christianity is too many rules. That, that being a Baptist is too many rules, too many things. Too, it's not commodious. But a life of sin, that was not commodious. A life of, of, of drugs and alcohol. A, a life of not having no direction. That's what's hard. And Paul's saying, look, you know what you gained by trying to go down the easy path? He said, here's all you gain. Harm and loss. Say, Pastor, what am I going to do if you, if the Bible teaches me something and it's not easy and I choose to go down the easy path, what, what am I going to get? You're, here's what you're going to gain. Harm and loss. Period. Look at verse 22. Paul says, and now I exhort you. I want you to notice, he, he's a good preacher. He builds them, he, he, he breaks them down. He says, look, I told you this was going to happen. But then he builds them up, verse 22. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. He said, look, let me tell you something. I want you to be of good cheer, because here's the thing. We're going to lose a boat, but nobody's going to die. And here's why I know it. The Lord appeared to me, and he said, and by the way, the Lord that I serve, the, the Lord that I belong to, and he told me that no one's going to die. He said, he told me we're all going to survive. Now here's the thing. Go with me real quickly to, uh, let's see, where do we want to go? Go with me to Second Peter. <clears throat> Second Peter chapter number 1. You say, well, Pastor Jimenez, it, it was very easy for Paul to say, hey, be of good cheer, because, because the Lord physically appeared to him, and he saw him in a vision, and, and he, he, he saw him, and the Lord said uh, to him, hey, we're, we're all going to survive. So that was easy for him. But, but the Bible, you know, uh, it, it's not the same, because God doesn't speak to us verbally. Let me tell you something. Don't put more, uh, you know, more, 
more of a burden on the fact that people in the Bible heard God speak and all we have is God's written word. Adam and Eve heard God speak and still sinned against God. And the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter number 1, verse 17, Peter is speaking and he says, he says, For he received from God the Father honor and glory. Talking about Jesus Christ. And when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Remember, Peter and, uh, and John and uh, I believe what was it, James went up to the Mount of Transfiguration and then Elijah and Moses appeared with Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ appeared in His glorified body and they saw Him in His glorified body and they heard God's voice say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is the event that Peter is talking about. Look at verse 18. He says, And this voice which came from heaven we heard. Peter's saying, look, I heard God speak from heaven. I heard God say about Jesus, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well uh, pleased. He said, I heard this voice which came from heaven. Uh, We heard when we were with Him in the holy mountain. But look at verse 19, don't miss this. He says, I heard a voice from heaven, but, in verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. You know what Peter's saying? Peter's saying, I heard God's voice from heaven. But you know what's more sure? Then the audible voice I heard from heaven, he said, the word of God is more accurate, more consistent, more uh, reliable than any voice I can hear. And you say, well, if God appeared to me, I'd be able to do it. No, this book gives you more assurance. I get so tired of hearing people tell, well, you don't understand. Jesus appeared to me, and God told me this in the Bible. And it's stuff that goes anti the Bible, goes anti the word of God. The word of God is a more sure word of prophecy. And you know, I put myself in Paul's shoes. You know, I'm the type of person that's just... I guess I... Go back to Acts 27. I, I guess maybe I, I struggle with confidence or, or what, but I, I, double, I, I second guess everything. You know? And if I was Paul, I'd probably be like, well, did I miss here? Because things aren't going well. Did he say we're all going to survive or did he say we're all not going to survive? You know, that's what I'd be thinking. <laughs> did, 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 you know, you know uh, can you repeat that? Yeah. But you know, when you have the Word of God, you don't. You, you can go. Hey, you can go to it every time. And guess what? You got a King James Bible. It always says the same thing. Now, if you got a New King James, it might change. You got an IV, it might change. But you got the Word of God. You got a more sure word of prophecy. So when the finances aren't good, you can always go to it, and it always says, you know, I shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory. It always says that. It's good. It's a sure word of prophecy. Look at verse, we got to finish up, look at verse 23. Well, look at verse 24. He said, saying, he said, this is what the voice said, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Look at verse 25. I love this verse. Wherefore, sirs, this is what Paul said, with confidence, by the way, you say, Pastor, what do we do as Christians when we're going through the trials of life, when we're going through the storms of life, when we're sailing through the storms of life? Here's what you do. Number one, you go into that storm through faith. The Bible says, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. And look what he says. He says, For I believe God. Amen. He says, For I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. He said, I believe God's work. I believe what God said. I believe God will take care of us. I believe we will make it. Why? Because of my faith. He said, How do we deal with the storm? With faith. Verse 26, How be it? We must be cast upon a certain island. But when the fourteenth night was come, as we were driven up and down Adrid, about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country. So the shipmen, they figure out, hey, we're getting close to some land here. Verse 28. And sounded, and founded twenty fathoms. 
That's talking about, they, they, they figure out how deep the water is below them. They found that it was 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it 15 fathoms. So they notice that they're getting closer to land because the depthness of the, of the water beneath them is getting less. Verse 29. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, so they realize, hey, we're getting closer to land, but we can't see anything, remember? And they're afraid they might hit rocks and, and sink and die. So fearing uh, that they had fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern. Now the stern is referring to the back of the ship. So they cast four anchors out of the back of the ship and wish for the day. So they just cast the anchors, they stop themselves right there, and they're just praying and hoping that they can survive today so they can assess the situation. Look at verse 30. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, do you see that? You've got deserting shipmen. Because these shipmen, they know they're close to land. So as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea, under color, as though they would have cast anchors out of the fortune. Don't misunderstand what's going on here. The shipmen, because remember, they, they cast the anchors out of the stern, out of the back of the ship. But now the shipmen, the, the men who are the sailors, or the professional sailors, they say, oh, we're going to also get some anchors, and we're going to cast them out of the fore of the ship, or the front of the ship. But really, they weren't letting down anchors, they were letting down boats, because they were going to flee. They were going to leave Paul, and they were going to leave the prisoners, they were going to leave the centurion, and they were going to say, we're out of here, you guys can die, and we're fleeing. It's a bad situation, isn't it? Look verse 31. Paul, who's got it put together, said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Now, I don't know if there was a disclaimer there that the Lord said, you're all going to survive if you all stick together, or if Paul's just thinking in a worldly way, and thinking, if the people who know about sailing leave us, we're not going to make it. Look at verse 32. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. Isn't this interesting? These guys are letting the boats down, and they're, they're gonna, once the boats hit the water, they're going to jump in the boats and flee. And the soldiers come along and take swords and cut the, the, the boats, and they say, no, we're all staying. Either we all make it or we all die, but you guys aren't leaving. I mean, that had to have been some tension, right? Look at verse 32. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boats and let her fall. And while the day was coming on, so they're waiting, they're just waiting for the day to come, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Notice, they haven't ate anything for fourteen days. They've been fasting. Now, it's not because they don't have food. They're fasting because they're scared. Again, priorities change. In the storm. You've got all these people and they're fasting. They're praying. They're saying, oh no, we've got to make it. And Paul says, look, you guys got to eat something. Verse 34. Wherefore I pray you to, to take some meat. For this is for your health. For there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. He says, look, God already told me. We're going to make it. You don't have to pray about it. And this is what, I, this is what people don't understand. Everybody says, you know, we, we use this cop out. Well, we're praying about it. If God already told you what to do, you don't have to pray about it. You know, people say to me, well, Pastor, uh, uh, I'm praying about being a soul winner. Well, what are you praying about? God already told you you want to be a soul winner. You understand what I'm saying? Well, I, I'm praying about whether or not I should, uh, uh, you know, uh, whatever. I, I'm praying or not whether I should join the Pentecostal church on the street. Oh, really? What, what is there to pray about? Go to God's Word. You see, when, when the Bible is clear about something, we don't have to pray about it. Look, we should pray, and we ought to be a people of prayer. But when the Bible and God's will is clear, you don't need to pray about it. I think sometimes we use prayer as a cop-out. And Paul is saying to these people, he said, why are you fasting? God already told me we're going to make it. Why don't you eat something? It'll be good for your health. Verse 35. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all. Don't miss that. He gave thanks in presence of them all. You say, 
How do we deal with the storms of life? Number one, you deal with the storms of life with faith. But number two, you deal with the storms of life with a spirit of thankfulness. Paul, in the midst of the storm, they haven't ate for 14 days. The situation looks so bad. And in the middle of all of it, he says, hey, you guys ought to eat. And, and then he takes the food out and he says, but before we eat, let's pray. And he thanked God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. And look at this. Paul was an example of the Christian going through the storms of life. In verse 36, Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. See, you know that, you know that it's, it hurts the cause of Christ when Christians go through storms and they just freak out and, and, and cannot hold their emotions. And, I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know if God's going to put in this fight. Hey, that wasn't Paul during the storm. Everyone else was freaking out. The shipmen are trying to desert. Everybody's scared. And Paul's just saying, hey, I believe God. Hey, I've got some hope. Hey, I've got some direction. Hey, I know where I'm going when I die. That's what Paul was saying. And your testimony through the storms of life is way more valuable than your testimony when the sea is calm. We can all be happy when the sea is calm. We can all be happy when everything's, when, when everything's good. But when the storm comes, and then that's when the Bible talks about that peace that passes all understanding. People, people don't understand it. They say, where do you get that peace from? And then, you, and then you get a chance to tell them, well, I don't get, see, here's the thing. I don't get my peace from my job. I don't get, I don't get my peace from my, uh, you know, even family. I don't get my peace from my husband. I don't get my peace from my wife. I don't get my peace. I get my peace from God. And the beautiful thing about God is that God is always consistent. Look at verse 37. And when we were all in the ship, 200, three score, 16 souls, that's 276 people, and when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. Now they're throwing uh, food out of the ship. And when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore into which they were minded if it were possible to thrust in the ship. I want you to understand this because it's kind of hard to understand sometimes. But it says, they, they, they find the sheep, it says, they knew not the land. That means they didn't recognize the land. They said, I don't know what this land is. We don't recognize this. But they discovered a certain creek with a shore. You understand, this is a huge boat. You can't just take this boat up to land. You know, they got to be able to part, you know, usually these boats would go into like a, a like a, a a harbor or something. So they find this little creek, and they say, well, we can get the ship into the creek, and then uh, we can park it there, and we'll be fine. Look at verse 40. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea, and loosed the rudder bands. The word rudders, the rudders are talking about like these huge oars they had in those ships. They loosed the oars, and they hoist up the mainsail to the wind, and made toward the shore. So this is their last ditch attempt. They're going to try to make it towards, uh, and, and park the ship, and get here. Verse 41. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and four parts stuck, and the four parts Stuck fast. You say, what's happening? They're having one last event. They're trying to park this ship, and as they park the ship, they ground the front of the ship. It gets stuck because it's this area where two seas meet, and they get stuck, but the back side of it is still kind of loose. Look at what it says, and it remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the wave. So they're going into park it at this creek. Two seas are meeting, they bring in the ship, it brings the front of the ship down, they get stuck, but the back of the ship is still waving, and as the wind and the, and the waves are hitting the back, it's destroying the ship. And here's, and here's, and Paul's probably thinking to himself, 
I already told you the ship's not going to survive. Why are you trying to save the ship? Look at verse 42. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. In those days, Roman soldiers, if you lost a prisoner, it was your life for theirs. And they, the way they've been counseled and taught, hey, if it looks like these prisoners are going to get away, kill them. You know, don't let them go. And, and, but this is totally wrong because they were going to kill Paul. Paul's totally innocent. He's gone through like seven, you know, four or five trials, hasn't been found even charged for anything. But God protects them, verse 43. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which uh, could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land. Verse 44. And the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Let me just say one thing and we're done. You know, we take it for granted that people just know how to swim today. And even today, not everybody knows how to swim. But in these days, a lot of these people didn't know how to swim. And wouldn't you think, there's 200, what did we say? 276 people on the ship. A lot of them don't know how to do it. Don't you think it would have been very easy for one of them to just go under the water and for you to never see him again? Look at all the problems in the ship. Number one, they're having the weather problems. They're having shipmen who are deserting the ship. They're having soldiers who are dangerous and trying to kill Paul and the rest of the prisoners. They've got a whole lot of people that don't even know how to swim. The ones that are able to swim are told, hey, you jump and swim to shore, and everybody else, try to find a board, try to find something to grab on, something to float on, and get to ship. And here's the thing. All of them survived. They all escaped, all saved to land. Just recently, there was a ship, one of these ships in, in I think it was actually Italy. Wasn't it Italy? Um, where that, that carnival cruise ship sunk, and uh, a whole lot of people died. It's very easy for people to die in a shipwreck. But all of these people, with all the problems they had, with so many of them not even knowing them, they made it. Why? Here's why. Because God said they'd make it. Period. That's why they all made it. And you know what? You say, well, what, what was the whole purpose of this? Well, I believe this. When Paul left this voyage, when Paul got out of the storm, when Paul got on that, I can just imagine Paul, you know, dragging himself up the, sh- you know, up the shore there, up the sand. He's probably on his hands and knees, coming out of the water. And you know when he stood up, you know, you know what I think Paul thought himself? I believe God. Say, so what's the purpose of the trials, Pastor? What's the purpose of the storms? Why does God put us, put us through this? Here's why He puts you through it. To build your faith. Because Paul's going to go to Rome, and Paul's going to probably preach the, the most and get the most people saved he's ever done in his entire life. And God was preparing to build His faith. You say, are there other storms to prepare us for heaven? No, the storms are to prepare us for greater work. Amen. Paul's going to Rome, he's going to get the most people he's ever got saved. The biggest ministry he's ever had. The most, the, 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 the most he's ever done is going to happen in, in the next few years for Paul at Rome. And God put him through the storm to build that faith. You say, why is God putting me through the storms of life? Why is God putting me through the trials of life? Why does God expect me to sail through the trials of life? Here's why. To build your faith. To build your faith. To build your faith. Let me ask you something. Are you allowing Him to build your faith? Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, so much. Thank you for our church. Thank you for uh, Wednesday night Bible study. Thank you for allowing us to be able to uh, look at the passage and look at this exciting story in the Bible. And Lord, we love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen.